Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the shenanigans. It was the early 80s, and sex was still a good way to meet new people. The disappointment. And that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. And the self-confidence. I'm six foot, three inches tall, and maintain a very consistent panda bear shape. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Oh, man, I can't believe Spears it through my phone in this lake. We're watching Purple Rain. I said it sucked, and he throws my Blackberry out the window. Yeah, you on your balcony. Get your fat ass down here and help me find my phone. Nope. Want to know why? Why? Because you wouldn't pass the initiation. What are you talking about? What initiation? Get down here. Well, for starters, you have to purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. Oh, no. No, 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 no. This is not Purple Rain, and you are not Prince, and this is not Lake Minnetonka. It's Lake Itopia and your crummy development. Your lips would make a lollipop too happy. Dude, what are you talking about? Take off the robe. Get off that bike. What do you want, a BMX bike? It's not a motorcycle. Oh, man, you know what? I'm not doing the podcast this week. I'm not doing the podcast week. And because you're such a dildo and you're not Prince, we're starting out with a crummy Madonna song. You ready? Yeah, take this. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears with TampaBay.com. And today we talk about the musicians turned actors of the 80s. With me today, because Sean Daly is a tool, <laughs> Times film critic Steve Persaw. Wait, uh, usually people say I'm here because I'm a tool. <laughs> no. So You're here because you're the expert. Oh, okay. I just replaced the tool. Yes. I see. Okay. We have been wanting to talk about this topic forever. Um, we have, we've already covered uh, the actors turned musicians of the 80s, and that didn't go too well. <laughs> uh, I don't think uh, Michael J. Fox appreciates what we said about his singing abilities. But I have a feeling that during today's podcast, things are going to turn around. We're going to have a lot more positive things to say. Well, I hope so, at least. I mean, otherwise, what's the purpose of me being in here? Because I'm such sunshine and light anyway. So. Yeah. People love you. What are you talking about? Really? Yeah. When you're on the show, people are like, we, we actually get information. Not people inside this office. No. The um, Here's the premise of today's show. We're going to talk about the musicians turn actors of the 80s. And for the purposes of today's exercise, these are musicians who they don't necessarily have to be musicians during the 80s, but, they, but their film work that we're judging them for has to be during the 80s. Okay. So we could have a 70s star making an 80s acting performance. Okay, so uh, Mick Jagger might might fit in could, here if he, if, might, he, if he had something in yeah, the 80s worth so, work. Okay, right. I see what you're saying. Uh, a Neil, a Mr. Neil Diamond, for example. Lena Horne. Lena Horne. Lena Horne, if she made a movie in the 80s, right. would fit right here. Right, they would. Al Jolson, <laughs> if he made a movie in the 80s, would right. fit into this exactly. show today. You, you got, you've got the hang of it. Okay. So we've ranked them from 1 to 10. But first I want to start with asking, do musicians overall make for good actors? I think there's, there's, something, so there's some kind of performance art with what they do up on stage that, that probably gives them some kind of, 
I don't know, inner inner sense of how they can try to get a character across. Take, for example, your your hip hop artists, your rap gangsters and stuff. Half these guys, you know, grew up in middle class neighborhoods, but they come across as being, you know, from the streets, from the hood. It's an act uh, for for many of them, not all, but but many of them. So it in. If you take a, an example like that, you can sort of see how being a musician, being up on stage, trying to present a certain persona up there, yeah, that can that can train you to be an actor in some regard. There. Now, the whole idea, I think, with the '80s too, is that you got these you got these musicians who, a lot of times, um, they grew up watching uh, Bowie. You know, the, a lot of the '80s musicians were influenced by Bowie, the punk rock movement, uh, some of the more flamboyant uh, rock and roll days, even Kiss to some degree. Mm-hmm. So do you think that plays into any more their desire to want to try to be uh, you know, movie stars as well as rock stars? I think what you have here is you have a, a division in time here between what we can call the Elvis effect and then in the 1970s, the, the start of like that new realism in movies. I mean, with the Elvis effect, what I mean is music stars, musicians who would get into movies and basically just play themselves. I mean, Elvis played the same thing. You, they, they wrote the script around just giving Elvis excuses to sing something. You know, we're going to win this race, you know, that type <laughs> of stuff, the old Eddie Murphy thing. But um, that was pretty much what it was up until the 60s, 70s. But then when you start getting a grittier type of American cinema, something that's a little bit more rooted in, in the method acting technique you know that brando made so popular and that's that, that type of thing you get your jack nicholson's your, your pacinos your de niro's these kinds of more naturalistic gritty actors coming in and musicians weren't going to be satisfied with just playing themselves and having an excuse to sing on film um like elvis and other folks like him had done before so yeah i i think there's a little bit of a dividing line here with the 70s 80s where musicians started taking the acting possibilities much more seriously Leading off of that, though, then does the 80s become the golden age of musicians turn actors? Is this the decade that you see it, them being really most fruitful? You're, uh, you're going to have, as we go through this list here that we've already looked at, you've got a, a few people here who are, have made a lasting impression in acting. Um, now, I, I haven't really sat down and tried to figure out uh, the people from the 80s, 90s, the aughts, those kinds of things. But, uh, but certainly, uh, you have um, a handful of people here who were doing good work then, and some of them continue to do good work now yeah. uh, in, in the acting vein. And I like that, too, so sure. There's, there's some people on this list that we're going to talk about today who actually – they made more movies in the 80s than they did albums. I mean, essentially, they were full-time actors in the 80s. I'm talking about people like Cher mm-hmm. and Bette Midler and David Bowie, who almost kind of like decided, hey, like I'm going to put the recording on, this, on the side burner for now, and I'm going I'm to you know, be a Hollywood star. Well, when you record, that means you've got you've to do a tour. And that can take weeks, months, an entire year. That's that's a lot of uh, a lot of you know uh, drag on your on your spirit, your body, your mind, and everything else. With a movie, six weeks, eight weeks, three months, something like that. You get it in the can. Sure, you do a publicity tour, but that's only you know in New York or in Los Angeles, maybe over to London if it's a big international type of uh, uh, release or something like this. But it's 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 really easier, and they. They they get a pretty good chunk of change for doing it too. Yeah, okay. I feel a real connection with us today. Like we're really kind of jibing, and it's like no coincidence because we spent a lot of time together this summer in a way. Well, uh, more than I really want to admit <laughs> publicly, but uh, I, I mean, yes, I, I, actually, we we yeah. went to see a couple of movies. I yeah. took you to see Star Trek. You bought me some popcorn because you're so such a geek. Yeah, that was um, fun. Took you to see Five Hundred Days of Summer, my favorite movie of the year so oh, far. No kidding. Because you had your heart broken. 
I'm yeah. sure I'm sure the listeners have heard all about that, just <laughs> like some. just like we did here in the office. My God, <laughs> it wasn't that bad? But 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 that movie that movie uh, you know helped turn your life around a little bit. So I've got the ten. Uh, what I have ranked. This is my personal ranking. Steepersall looked at it. Kind of gave we'll it, argue with you on a couple. Yeah, it kind of gave me like a tentative uh, thumbs up on it. There's a couple quibbles here and there, but we've got the ten top musicians turned actors of the '80s. So let's get started. Are you ready? Yes. Number ten. We are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word life, it means forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you, there's something else. The afterworld. Yes, Prince. My man. Okay, um... Certainly a great movie. Certainly one of those landmark movies, Purple Rain, Purple of course, Rain. I'm talking yeah, about. Uh, did Rain. I hear something about it's the 25th anniversary? Is, is, have uh, I heard this week. something about yes, that? Yes, I think I wrote My a little gosh, bit about yeah. it in the paper. Um, well, you've, you've written a little bit, so is Daily and everybody else. And it's, it's, it's blasting through the PA system I, as I'm part just, of our I'm, fire alarm system. I know. Here. I'm just guessing that you probably didn't like that movie. Um, I wasn't that crazy about it. Certainly love the music, but it, but it was just sort of like watching a concert movie that had some, you know, strings of plot <laughs> in, in between them uh but you know you, you can't beat you know when doves cry and prince uh at one point in the summer of 84 prince had the number one movie the number one album and the number one single all at the same time that was his year mm-hmm. 25 years ago and then of course he would recreate that role again somewhat in the uh, 1990 movie, uh, Graffiti Bridge. A much worse album. And I, I've got to admit, I never saw Graffiti Bridge. That just never really got on my radar yeah. because I didn't really get, uh, just didn't get into the music on the radio. Yeah. And, and that's that's what happens with a lot of these folks. You've got to have the soundtrack propelling the movie. And, and at, you know the 80s with Footloose, Top Gun, these kinds of movies. It really became sort of a uh, the movie industry being driven by what you could get on the soundtrack and how, you, how well you could sell that in the record stores. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if he had a lousy album like Graffiti Bridge, you know, my own personal opinion, it's certainly not going to sell as many movie tickets as a movie based on a great album like Purple Rain. Yeah. Now, now one of the side benefits, though, of uh, Purple Rain, and he's not on today's top ten list. He just barely missed it. We just knocked him out. Yeah, Mr. Moore's Day. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> the password is okay? Fire Lanka, sir. Damn it, say the password. What? Say the password, onion head. The password is what? He was on my original top ten list, and I booted him at the last minute. You'll find out why a little while later. But uh, Morris Day, I think, is underrated as an actor. Well, he's one of those that, with the Elvis effect, uh, to a certain extent, certainly he was playing himself in in that role in Adventures of Ford Fairlane and stuff. He, that kind of, you know, cock of the walk type of, you know, personality of larger than life type of personality. Um, but but he doesn't really – his benefit was the fact that the public didn't know him. The general public did not know him. Certainly Prince's fans that saw him in concert and saw the time you know, opening up for him, that sort of thing, would know him. But I didn't know Morris Day, so he was one of the reasons why, why I did like Purple Rain. Yeah. It was this great you know, animated personality up there that just sort of like burst off the screen. And you know, Jungle Love was, <laughs> was a pretty catchy tune, oh, no. too. So, you know, uh, for for me, he, he was memorable in, in that kind of regard. He Even though he was playing the Elvis effect, he was doing it with uh, an Elvis that we hadn't seen before. I'll tell you what time it is. Time for the next person on the list. Number nine. Look, I love you. Don't you get it? No, I don't get it. I'm, I hate limousines, and I hate $700 cowboy boots. And I, Who are I you? Just, oh, 
Mr. Rick Springfield. Now, see, this is one that you certainly have much more affection for than I do. Um, you know, I, I watched General Hospital a little bit in the, in the uh, 70s, you know, guilty pleasure there or something. But hard to hold. Oh. Okay, you go ahead and tell me. Was, it, was, that, a, was that a sigh, a groan? A... Uh, it's not a good movie. It's not a good movie. Thank you very much. <laughs> so why did you put him here on number nine? Uh, he... You have, in a way, you have to almost balance here because we're talking. Rick Springfield was, in many, in many ways, probably the most popular, one of the most popular musicians that we'll talk about today. Mm. Um, so he's like the David Hasselhoff yes, of this list. I'm sure he loved that comparison. I mean, he had General Hospital. He had Hard to Hold. He was also in a TV series called uh, Forever Night that that lasted just a couple episodes. I mean, he really tried to be an actor. I mean, was he a great actor? He didn't have great material. I mean, hard to hold. Anybody could have done that, and it would have sucked. Yeah. It is awful. It is unwatchable. The only thing that's good about it is the soundtrack. Yeah, we yeah. talked about the Elvis effect. That was more like the Bobby Venton effect. Yeah. You know? God. I was watching a bad Bobby Venton movie over the weekend, Surf Party. Why do they have a, a Surf Party movie from the 1960s in black and white? Ooh. I, I didn't know they made any of them in black and white, but this was actual with the surfing and the, and the bikinis and all that kind of stuff. That's bizarre. Black and white. That's bizarre. I wish bizarre. I wish Hard to Hold had been in black and white. I wish it had been in subtitles, because then I would have maybe like been like, well, I'm sure he's acting well. I just don't. I just don't understand Swedish. Well, the best best part about that movie probably was just the poster, because you had Springfield with that smoldering look and the yeah, black leather jacket. It was and it, it, actually, if you if you think about it, it, it very closely resembled the uh, the album cover for Jesse's Girl, you know, for for that album and stuff. Yeah. So it's it's they're 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 trying to they're trying to basically just play with his fans and give them what uh, yeah. what they like before, give it to them in another fashion. I know. I mean, I know everyone kind of when when they think of Rick Springfield as an actor. I think most people think of General Hospital. I didn't watch it all that much. I know when he came back on to the show a few years ago, he actually played, you know, Doctor Noah Drake, and he played, I think, Rick Springfield. Rick Springfield. Yeah, was, like, uh, I, like, oh. I think I saw that on the Soup or something. Yeah. They, they showed the clips. That was kind of clever. I mean, I kind of got a kick out of that. I was like, well, you know, this is an excuse to watch General Hospital for five minutes. And, and no that more. was, uh, I think, actually, that's what you said gave you the idea for the Stuck in the Eighties podcast. Doing when you when you realize that Rick Springfield could have a, a career coming back, oh, that's, what, that's what actually got you started. Belittled here. by Steve Persaud. That'd be a first. <laughs> Ready for the next on the list? Sure, let's go. Number eight. You know the law. Two men enter, one man leaves. Two men enter, one man leaves. This blaster, 20 men enter, only him leaves. Then it's your choice. Thunderdome. Tina Turner. Now we're talking. Yeah. Now we are talking. Now we got to say this: what she what she didn't do in numbers, she made up for in quality mm-hmm. in the eighties. Because for the most part, as far as I can tell, one movie appearance, one movie, but um, memorable. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. It's Absolutely. the only Mad Max movie I'll even watch. Mm-hmm. She just had this kind of, you know, like like um, um, animalistic vibe already, and and they just found a vehicle for her, sticking her in the in the cage in the big Thunderdome. Yeah, two go and in, one comes out. Exactly, and and of course, you know, uh, Mel Gibson at that time was at his peak of of, of really, you know, b- b- badass popularity in that kind of regard. So it was it was a good mix of two personalities, and you really didn't know who would win in this kind of situation. I mean, Tina Turner was tough enough that she might have been able to rip. Mel's butt apart or something like yeah. that. So yeah, it's, I, I I love that movie. It's it is my favorite. You know, it's it's my favorite after the Road Warrior. 
Uh, the first movie, I think, is, is a great little setup for it. Road Warrior, I think, is a terrific classic action movie. But as far as just a fun popcorn type of thing with those kinds of characters, Thunderdome. Uh, and we actually named the stadium after that movie here for a little while, yeah, too. Yeah, St. Petersburg's sure. uh, Tropicana Field for a long time was known as the Thunderdome. The Thunderdome. Back yeah. when the Tampa Bay Lightning used to play hockey there. I don't think Tina Turner ever played there, though. Some people still, oh, that would be interesting if she actually played the yeah. Thunderdome. I don't know if she did or she not. She doesn't tour very much. I know she's been through Tampa Bay. Now, see, I I as much as I like Thunderdome, though, the, the Tina Turner role that I just love is Acid Queen in Tommy, the Who's Tommy. Excellent. It's a 70s movie. I'm sorry. That's my decade. I, 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 I know. Else. I like the 70s, too. Everyone gives me a bad rap for like, oh, it doesn't like the 70s. I have probably as many 70s movies at home. I just remember this one close-up they had of her, and she she was, of course, playing the Acid Queen. She's on a trip, and she's getting Roger Daltrey to, to, to trip out also but she just had this lip quiver going on i thought it was like a it was couldn't be digitized or anything like that she was her lips were actually doing that it was almost it's almost like an like a cartoonish type of thing wow. or something just terrific acting really much. yeah i wonder why she kind of gave it up after that i don't know um they always say there there aren't good enough roles for women over age 40 and Tina, of course, is she was she's pushing she's pushing seventy now, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, probably she, something like that. I know she just came through. Yeah, that must be it. Sadly, the next person on our list we see all too often on the big screen. I hate to mention her name again, but here we go. Number seven. She's a woman of mystery. You can dance. You can dance. You can dance. A woman of surprises. What are you doing here? A woman named Susan. Come on, come on, come on. Orion Pictures presents Desperately Seeking Susan. Susan! 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 Oh my God, we all thought you were dead. Huh? Just in New Jersey. Okay, so are we uh, listing her because of that soft uh, core porn movie that she made? Is that... Why she's on the list are certain sacrifices. Madonna made a soft core porn movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was actually she needed the money. Um, you could tell that she was really down and out at that time because she didn't own any razors that she could shave her underarms with. But uh, yeah, she made a soft core porn movie, Certain Sacrifice. Uh, she used her full name, Madonna Ciccone, uh at that particular time. Uh, she tried to get it squashed a few years later when she became a star. But uh, then I think when she realized she couldn't squash it, she realized she would play with it. And that sort of like started her with her whole, you know, like the sex coffee table book. Right. These kinds of things where she, she knew if, if, that shocking people would lead to some money. Here and there along the way, so um, yeah, it, it was it was a it was a step in the right direction. For yeah, her. I you know, everyone knows I have, a, I have a long simmering hatred of Madonna, and it's not because of what she did in the eighties necessarily. It's what she's done since then, because I think when she first started her acting career, I think she 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 had some great roles. She uh, she was in Vision Quest, although you only see her as a bar singer, so she's not really playing anything. That's but it's still nice to see her. Here, sure. It's still nice to see her. It's always a good introduction for a for a musician to to a movie set. But then she kind of really makes her mark in nineteen eighty five with Desperately Seeking Susan. And and really a terrific movie that is dated but it's one of those that you can watch as a time capsule type of thing with uh, with Madonna and Rosanna Arquette. Um that was one of those movies it's like five hundred days of summer. It, it sort of did something different with the romantic comedy at that particular time, certainly we hadn't had a romantic comedy that dealt with, you know, that kind of you know, youth generation like that. Uh, it, it had that kind of almost mystery, almost film noir type of angle to it, too, with the search for this woman and the, and the amnesia angle. Thing, uh, these kinds of factors that you'd seen in a lot of movies before, but you hadn't really had them mashed up together to a to an 80s pop beat like yeah. that. And Madonna playing this object of desire. You know, for for Arquette's character who wants to be like her, uh, she's she's. I mean, Arquette's playing this dull, 
bored housewife who wants the excitement that she sees Madonna's character Susan having from afar. You know, Madonna had at that point in time she had that kind of distance from her fans. We didn't know that much about her. We were infatuated with her, so yeah. it was really a, a, a good role with perfect timing for her at her state that yeah. stage of her career. Sadly, but yeah, yeah but the thing is, you couldn't find a role for a long time, uh, if ever that could harness that kind of magnetism that Madonna had. I mean, if you look at what she did after that, Shanghai Surprise. Awful. She only did that because she had just gotten married or was just getting hooked up with, with Sean, Sean Penn. Penn. Yeah. So they thought they were going to be the Gable and Lombard of, of, the, uh, of the 80s or something. That's not going to happen. Who's that girl? That that's, was, that's nearly unwatchable. Yeah, that's, that's a little bit too much of, too derivative of Desperately Seeking Susan. She was desperately seeking another, you know, hit like Susan had been. Bloodhounds of Broadway I never even saw. Uh, yeah. it, it barely got uh, released. It escaped more than anything else. But, uh, but yeah, it's, you, you really don't see her get a role that sort of matches as big as her personality is, I think, until, what, Evita? Sort of learn. I think Evita may have sort of put her in her place. I, I, she was. Ve- I'm sure she was very disappointed when that didn't catch on uh, like she expected it to. Um, I think it's a it's a good performance. You know, for for what it is, it's certainly not Patty Lupone. I was watching a little bit of that over the weekend too, and you can see Jonathan Price over there on the side when she's singing "Don't uh, Cry for Me, Argentina," and. Diane even said, looks like he's thinking in his head, you're good, kid, but you know Patty Lapone type of thing. <laughs> I mean, he, you could almost read the disdain yeah. for, for her performance on the face. But, I, you know, and Antonio Banderas was very good in that movie. Yeah, too. everyone's good except for kind of her. Yeah. And you, meant, you have to mention Di, of course, your wife, Princess Di, yeah. who Princess I've decided, Di? I've, decided I've, I've solved all my love problems if I can just clone her. Oh, I thought you were. That's why you put that white powder in my glass of water here. Uh, trying for the to, record, uh, trying to I, that was not for, me. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's good. I'm waiting to pay that condolence call on her later tonight. And I'm going to bring a copy of Pretty in Pink over. I said, come on, baby. This is going to solve everything. It's got James Spader in it. No, you've got to have something uh, funnier than that. Oh, come on. And newer. She's younger than you are. She's younger than I am. What she's younger hell? than I am? I think she's 43. I'm 42. 42. I, look, I just look 45. She's 40. Yeah, 43 or 44. Yeah. Anyone who's not met Steve Pasha's wife. Oh, my God. Yeah. She's a, she's a rose. What am I, Shrek? <laughs> No. You talk you about her like she's up. Princess Fiona. No, I'm Shrek. So one, one of the most fun times you can possibly have is going to see a movie with uh, Persaud and Princess Di. Because, I mean, they really – you guys really enjoy it. You guys have a good time. Oh, now People, everybody's going to want to do that, even the guys no, in Australia. No. Okay. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Swarty's going to come up here. Hey! Um, Madonna, you know, I mean, I rank her at seven. She might deserve better than that. But I think when we get to some of these next people on the list, you'll see why yeah. she stays where she yeah. is. On with the list. Number six. You must always be firm with a horse, Eva. And calm. You must never, ever show fear. Guide him with the reins. Gently. With great conviction. <laughs> Eva! Ah, yes. Sting. Mm. Yeah, you almost forget that he made some movies. Yeah, uh, in the eighties there too. You forget he's. You almost forget he's been around that long that he could progress from a music career into an acting career like that too. He's definitely the person. He is for 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 the record the person that originally held the spot that Morse Day held until I realized <laughs> five minutes before the podcast. Oh my god, I forgot to put Sting in there. Um, Sting made a bunch of movies in the eighties. Um, pretty prolific. He made probably what everyone remembers best. Dune in yeah. 1984. They uh, certainly remember that uh, gold uh, LeMay Speedo that he wore through, yeah. through most of the movie. Not 
I can't I, to this day one of the more unwatchable movies. Exactly. I've never been able to sit through that movie entirely. I can watch it in like 10 15 minute portions and and I I know I've never seen anything of it chronological, but I'm not sure that David Lynch uh the director really does anything that's that easily understandable. It's it's not I read the book before I saw it. It's a tough book to convert to a movie. I mean, so much of it is just not at least in the eighties, something you can accomplish on film. I mean, folding space and they stuff are, like that. There's discussion about a, a remake. That's it's that that I would actually. You know, normally I'm I'm totally against remakes of eighties movies, especially since the eighties has only been over for twenty years. Like why why can't you wait like fifty years between re- remakes? But but Dune, I would be in favor of because I think today's technology could really, be, as long as they didn't rely too much on it, mm-hmm. could really make. That story work, but Sting Sting has that has that, or at least at that time, as far as an actor goes, had that really nice hard scrabble British working class type of look and persona about him before he became really a millionaire and a jet setter and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, he he was a guy pretty much from the streets, and that came across in some of his performances. That that uh, that one British gangster movie was it Stormy Stormy Monday. Stormy Monday? Yeah, yeah. that uh, that that he did. Um, you know, playing playing a, a a tough a hooligan basically, but but there was something that was very natural about it. It was like watching, uh, you know, Daltrey and and Townsend and those guys do some of their you know earlier work in the in the sixties and seventies. Well, it's, it's not a surprise because I mean, he, his first film was nineteen seventy nine Quadrophenia. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, plays Ace Face. There you go. But um, he had he had Stormy Monday. He had The Bride, where he plays Frankenstein. Yeah, Frankenstein movie. Jennifer Beals. Yeah, right. Yeah. Not not a not a not a bad movie. Well, not with Jennifer Beals in there, yeah. and, and she they, they they had her in the gauzy type of yeah. costume most of the time, so you could see a little outline, a yeah. little. Uh, you I know. like gauze. Yeah, I like gauze, gauze. Is good. Gauze is good. The um, definitely um, not great because of him, but still not a bad movie. Uh, Brimstone and uh, Treacle. Uh, Brimstone and Treacle. I, I barely remember seeing that one. It was a, a working class drama that had a supernatural type of bent to it where he may have been a minion of the devil or something like that. But once again, I, I do recall you know, just the fact that he had a, a very strong screen uh, personality. I, I, don't, I don't know what happened to him as far as acting goes. Maybe Doom just sort of soured him on everything. It might have. I mean, he did a lot of movies afterwards, but I, I think maybe after the 80s when, when um, he was concentrating more on his music career at that point because mm-hmm. his, his solo career really you know, took off after he left the police and I don't think he, I think he just kind of felt like I'm getting more out of this, out of the music than I am out of movies. The last thing he did in the eighties was the adventures of Baron Munchausen. Oh, okay. Which I, he was in which I, I so desperately want to like that movie. I'm, I'm a tough sell on any kind of uh, Terry Gilliam movie. Most of them at least. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, Brazil has its moments. Everybody says it's a classic. I don't buy it. Good. Thank um, you. See, another reason why we're blood brothers. You know, um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, I think the first you know 20 minutes of it is brilliant. Then it gets sort of repetitive. Uh, Munchausen, sort of the same way. Um, what else? Oh, Time Bandits. I always time like, Bandits I always was like probably time the best. Bandits. Would be the best of the bunch, I think. Right. But, um, but Sting, I mean... You know, I like him. He made he he was in good. He was in decent movies. He did a good job. Hence, he lands at number six. Plus, he's a good-looking guy. And if there's ever, any chance I ever get to interview him, I can always say, "Well, I, I named you number six on the exactly. list, buddy." Exactly. On 
with the list. Number five. Look, I've been straight with you from the first day I got here, and I put up with all your pinching and staring and chasing me around the desk because I need this job, but this is the last straw. All right, now wait. Let's, let's, let's just sit down. And... Look, I got a gun out there in my purse, huh. and up to now I've been forgiven and forgetting because of the way I was brought up, but I tell you one thing. If you ever say another word about me or make another indecent proposal, I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Yes, Dolly Parton, number five. Both of them. <laughs> oh, man, I've got a couple things to say about Dolly Parton, and then I'm going to turn you loose. She made two decent movies, and they bookend the 80s. 9 to 5 in 1980, and Steel Magnolias in 1989, and everything in between is like total crap. Okay, I'll give you that. So, what, so go ahead, hit me with your best shot. Well, you know what? Uh, Dolly Parton is playing a character all the time anyway. Uh, and and she's, she's been pretty much pretty straightforward with that in interviews and everything else that she does throw on the wig and pump up the breasts and, and maybe put on the twang just a little bit more. And certainly that certainly the bubbly, the vivaciousness she puts on even more. So she is playing a character all the time. All you have to do is find the roles for her where she can steer that right in there. And she, she is probably the, the most successful, uh, that we have on the list here as far as playing the Elvis effect. Yeah. You know, just give her a reason to be in the movie. You know, just looking, sounding, acting, behaving just like she always does. So it's not any kind of stretch for her. You're not going to see her doing, you know, heavy duty drama or anything like that. Um, and and give her a chance to get a couple of songs on the soundtrack. You know, it's, it sounds easy, but it, it's it's pretty hard to find material that you can do that, as you can see there. Yeah. Um, nine to five. One of one of the more memorable debuts for a uh, for a singer for 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 a musician that I can think of of any decade. Yeah. Uh, simply because she was that kind of captivating personality. Uh, and of course, having, you know, good pros, solid pros like Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda alongside her to sort of guide her, you know, cover up her mistakes a little bit and that sort of thing. Yeah. That certainly didn't hurt. She famously memorized the entire script. Yeah. Everybody's lines yeah. for that movie. It didn't before she realized she didn't have to. I think she was uh, sort of like very self-conscious about the fact she didn't want to be the country bumpkin that probably everybody was expecting her to yeah. be. She wanted to yeah. show that she was smarter than that. She's she's dumb like a fox, you know, and 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 foxy in a dumb kind of way. Yeah, I sadly she makes she makes two movies in the eighties um, that are just unwatchable. Um, I don't know how many times today I'm going to say unwatchable, but hope, hopefully with the rest of the people on the list, you won't hear that quite so much. Rhinestone in nineteen eighty four with Sylvester Stallone. That's there's your 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 problem right there. Yeah, I mean, just, if, you get, if you're going to you know team up with Sylvester Stallone, you're probably going to be in a, in a lousy movie. Yeah, you just got to if you're going to be Dolly Parton, you've got to you've got to put yourself like you said in a nine to five situation where you have fantastic people surrounding you, and Stallone mm -hmm. is not that guy. And then um, a movie that I sadly sat through last night. It was on TV on cable. I can't believe I watched it. I only watched it knowing we were doing this podcast today. The best little whorehouse in Texas. Um, you know that it's not bad material. But that's a situation where they really didn't do enough to sort of like move the play out of the theater and open it up to the outside world a little bit more. It looks stagey, and I think that's one big problem with it. And certainly casting Burt Reynolds, oh. there's the Stallone effect again. That was right when he was at the height of his, I'm just being Burt. Exactly. You it's, know, he's not going to try. If you'd had somebody in there who could sing, for one thing, and who wouldn't be more interested, who would be more interested in the entire project looking good rather than just himself. Yeah. You know, I, I think you've got the material there for, for, for a decent movie. Certainly, I, certainly better than what came out. I can never watch another movie with Burt Reynolds and Jim Neighbors in it. 
<laughs> I seriously, I'm the whole time I'm watching. I'm like, this is just like Stroker Ace all over again. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, geez, Jim Jim Neighbors comes on the screen, and I just want to like. But then you get Charles Durning, you know, playing the uh, the uh, the evang- evangelical. Yeah, there's, there, you know, there are lots of great minor roles. There's there's some good segments in that yeah. movie. She's not bad. She 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 saves herself and she she propels herself to number five because of uh, Steel Magnolias nineteen in nineteen nine. Drink your juice, Shelby. Yeah. Easter eggs. Ran out of stuff. Well, that's why God invented the A and P. You gotta work on the truck. No, you gotta get the lead out. This next person on the list is gonna surprise a lot of people, and maybe it's his music that we know more than his movies. Here we go. Number four. Inside a broken clock, Mr. Tom Waits, number four. I tell you what, I like that choice, and I praised you, and I will praise you here on the air for that choice. You know, Tom Waits is, would not be the first thought, you know, the first, first person that anybody would come up with uh, from this decade. Certainly his music wasn't as popular as anybody else we're talking about on this list. But you look at his filmography, you look at his resume here, and, and the cool kinds of projects that he was in um, – he had twelve so I, movies. I, I twelve give, movies. I give you, in the, I give in you the big, 80s. big props on, on putting him on this list and as high as you yeah. can. Very good. A lot of people don't remember me. Now, most of the roles he played in the eighties, he was in twelve movies, and most of them were um, minor roles in those movies. Mm-hmm. But he's anywhere from Wolfen to The Outsiders to Rumblefish, Cotton Club, Ironweed. Jim Jarmusch uh, loved him and, and, and put him in uh, um, Down by Law, one of his yeah. first movies, Mystery Train, Yep. Uh, during that time. I think it was the 80s. Yeah, yeah that was the 80s. Yeah, Mystery Train's in 89. Um, Ironweed. There's a, a nice little, very depressing movie, but it's one that he was very suited for because that was the one with Nicholson and, uh, and Meryl Streep playing the you know alcoholics, the barflies that are just hanging around the bars all the time, and, and Waits was one of the guys who was over there in the corner with them. And, and Waits has that kind of very... You know, sorted out, haggard, yeah, <laughs> barfly type of look. Um, if if I if I were going to cast cast a drunk in a movie, but a wise drunk, a, a world a worldly but weary drunk, Tom Waits would be the guy for it. And he's still doing some some uh, some work here and there. Yeah. Um, I saw him not too long ago. It was I think it was another Jim Jarmusch movie uh, that just came out or something like that. But yeah, he, he he still works. He's still uh, still yeah. I like one of those cultish figures. Yeah, I love the fact that he probably more than anybody else in this list. He goes back and forth between music and film, and it, and you just get the feeling that he enjoys them equally, and that neither one of them are so important in his life that they become a distraction mm-hmm. to to what it is that he wants. He has a great sense of humor too. I don't know if yeah. you listen to uh, Bob Dylan's. Uh, show that's on uh, XM Sirius, the satellite radio. But uh, he and Dylan, of course, are very good friends. And every once in a while, he'll you know call up Dylan or he'll have something to contribute to the show, which is always just so bizarre and off the wall. But you get that voice throwing it out there too, and it's just hilarious. And you 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 hang on every word, every croak, and, and it turns out to be something funny or enlightening or something like that. It's, uh, that's an excellent choice. Good, good. I, I need that positive reinforcement right now because my pager just went off. Sean Daly has stopped throwing a hissy fit. He's here and wants to do the segments. No. It, no? 
I'm, I'm bolting the door right now. <laughs> so we're going to take time out from the countdown. We're going to do a little segments. Mr. Prasal is going to be back on the flip side. No. <laughs> no, you're not? I'm unbolting hey, no, the look, door. I'm telling you right now. All these people that are left on the list, Sean Daly doesn't even know how to pronounce their names, much less he's never <laughs> seen any of their movies. So you have to stick around. Okay. Ah, by the sound of the tone, it must be time for Reader Mailbag. And my old friend, Sean Daly, is all toweled off and ready to <laughs> yeah, join you us. you like that, don't you? I needed the attention. I had the bus in here. You guys were hitting a groove. I think you guys have better chemistry. Persol and, uh, Persol and Spears is America's new sweetheart. What do you think about that? S&P. S&P. Uh, yes, I'm back for the Seggies, as I like to call them. Yep. And Carol Jansen likes to call them Seggies, too. Well, yeah. My what was thing. the over-under on the Carol Jansen effect thing today? <laughs> Carol Jansen You're effect C-blocking is my me trademark. Oh, do you know what? Let's get on with it. Yeah, read we your have, damn emails. We have uh, two very good emails. This first one was on my Facebook. William Locasto, he Facebooked me. He Facebooked me the same message. <sighs> Are you serious? Yes. Lacasto's double dipping? He's double dipping. <laughs> All right, here we go. Letter number one from William Locasto, New York City. We made the big time. If we can make it there, we can make it anywhere, Spearsy. Even in St. Petersburg. Guys, neither of you know me, but I just wanted to take a minute to tell you both how much I love, in capital letters, your Stuck in the 80s podcast. Through listening to it, the first thing it makes me realize is I don't know nearly as much about the 80s as I thought I did. You guys are serious, and that's what makes it so great. I fooled another one, Spearsy. Nicely done. My insincerity. They all buy it. As for you guys as podcast hosts, you're absolutely brilliant together. Should we tell the people that we don't really like each other that much? <laughs> Not today. Steve's sincerity versus Sean's zaniness is the perfect combination. I especially love it when Sean throws some zinger that cracks Steve's armor to the point where he simply laughs out loud and cannot stop. How long has it been since that's happened? Since Shut you said- up, dude. Every effing show, I crack your armor. <sighs> Go on. Yes. Not sure if you guys know how wildly entertaining you are as a team. It's fast becoming classic banter in my book. Classic banter. The, the irony of all this, of course, is that for the most part, the 80s were a miserable time for me. I'm exactly two weeks older than you are, Spearsy, so our timeline is the same. High school from 81 to 85, college from 85 to 89. And yes, these were not happy years. I was so shy and introverted that I really could not enjoy the 80s as much as I wanted to. Do you feel the same way? Uh, about the 80s? How was yeah. I in the 80s? I was more introverted than I am now. Oh, yeah, you're really uh, garrulous now. You're a real chatterbox. Really? We're going to drag our personal differences into the show? Uh, he continues, this is about William Lacasto, who I thought was my friend and my friend only, and yet he's cheating. Uh, but that's why going back with you guys in every podcast from the good position in life that I now enjoy as an increasingly successful playwright in New York City makes it especially fun. That's pretty good. Yeah. He can write a play about us someday. Stuck in the 80s The play. musical. One you, night you can only. sing your yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can relive this stuff from a better place, not to get all deep and mushy, but forever for whatever it's worth. That's very nice. Anyway, keep up the good work, guys. I look forward to many more podcasts. Take care, William Lacasto, New York City, the Big Apple. It's a great, great letter. You know, I actually kind of want to get up to New York City at some point soon and see that Rock of Ages musical, which is all kind of based in the eighties. I wonder if our good buddy 
Billy LaCosta would go with me. Probably not. Not you call him Billy, which he's, he probably hates. That's what they called him in high school. <laughs> great. Sorry, William. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Are you going to crash on his sofa? <laughs> hey, it's me, Spearsy. <laughs> hey, Billy. <laughs> Don't call me Billy. Uh, we got oh, that's this? good. Yes. Our second letter is from Finland. This one's all about you, baby. In fact, there's a horrible horrible uh postscript on this that's very upsetting hi steve hi steve yeah finland god the Finns are so impolite hi steve and nobody else your podcast is great but there is one annoying thing in the show or actually two annoying things guess what number two is (laughs) the first is the fact that you guys don't appreciate the pet shop boys enough Yeah, that's for shit, sure. They were definitely one of the great 80s pop groups. One that's even more remarkable is they are still doing great. Check out the track Love, Etc. from the new album. A couple weeks ago, their concert tour visited Helsinki, Finland, Europe. (laughs) In case you guys didn't know what part of the world Helsinki represents. Boy, and I had the chance to see them live, and they are still great, even on stage with their minimalist but oh-so-entertaining style. This sounds like you. This is like your finished doppelganger. <laughs> Spearzinski. Uh, here's the other annoying thing. It is your screeskreaky, screeskreaking co-host. This guy has no idea what my name is. Uh, when he sings, quote-unquote, Spearzy, it makes me want to hit him with something hard. That's something being preferably heavy and deadly. <laughs> <laughs> so basically it's Canada and Finland. No appreciation for Sean Daly. D-A-L-Y. Yeah. S-E-A-N. Jesus. But anyway, keep up the good work with your podcast. Devoted listener from Finland, Timo. You know what? I'm going to say right now, Timo's heard maybe one and a half shows. Because I'm a goddamn comedic genius. <laughs> Finland, <laughs> kiss my ass, Finland. <laughs> Helsinki, Helsinki is more like it. Timo, yeah, look at you in there on your catbird seat. Your shit ass grin. Uh, I hate Finland. You know what? I'm gonna do wor- next, our next show. Worst hits of the '80s from Finland. Don't we mention the Pet Shop Boys a lot now? And we do all the time. You know what? I hate them even more now. Pet you're, Shop. You're gonna boys. go see them with me in concert, though, right? <laughs> anything now <laughs> stupid finland what do you think about that letter you love it Ooh, they love me and they don't know the other guy's name i've only done 165 <laughs> shows busting my ass day in and day out to entertain america and i get this shit from finland usa <laughs> this is bullshit Great. don't smile at me <laughs> God damn it. Pet Shop Boys and Screeking. That's a finished thing. They eat fish. You know what? This segment over. <laughs> Ready for the next one? Yeah. Hey, as always, you can send your emails to stuckinthe80s.tampa.com. But also, you can go to our Facebook page. Uh, it's Search for Sean Daly. S-E-A-N-D-A-L-Y. Why, why are you being so nice to me? Oh, you felt, yeah, you no, felt a little bad. I felt a little bad. Timo, Timo, nation, European Timo nation kind of beat up has feature. attacked me. Yeah. He didn't even know my name. Scree Screeking. Scree Screeking. He's saying you Scree Screek. That you're a Screeker. That's what he's saying. (laughs) 
you're, you're guilty of over-screeking. Uh, we're on uh, Facebook. Search for us on Facebook. It's, um, it's just Steve Spears and Sean right Daly. We have separate pages. And people can't see it. You can't see this. Can you, Phil? Put it back in the pants. <laughs> Put it back. Yeah. Jump on this, Helsinki. Nice. Great. Right. As always, just send those emails on straight to me. Don't you even bother. You are from Finland. Don't bother. Because it's not getting read. <laughs> so you kiss my butt. <laughs> What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. Hey, it's a segment where I play a piece of a movie from the 80s, and if you can get it right, um, what did you give me today that I can give away? Uh, Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart <laughs> CDs. Yeah, remasters. There's like quadruple discs. Tonight's the night. Spears it. <laughs> I'm going to squeak, squeak all night. Uh, what else we have? Uh, we still have Funyuns. We still have movie posters. Sean Daly has pre-signed all the movie posters. Did you give any away when I, I was did. on vacation? Ask people. Um, one of the people on this list that we're going to read. Anyway, pay attention. Here was last week's mystery clip. Don't you feel something? Yeah, jet lag. <laughs> yeah, that's Summer Lovers. Everybody got it right the second time I gave them a chance. Did they really? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Give enough hints. But... Uh, uh, among the winners, Brother Ron in Dallas. Now, there's a fan of the show, Brother yeah. Ron in Dallas. I love Brother Ron. He supports me. He's thinking, I think, about someone, somebody from, I think Mark from East Texas is talking about coming into Tampa to see the Pet Shop Boys. Really? So Texas loves the Pet Shop Boys. And Finland loves the te- Pet Shop Boys. So are you sure that Texas loves Sean Daly? I don't know. Let's hear it, Texas. The Lone Star State. Uh, I love Texas. All my exes are from Texas. Paul Reese in Studio City, California, uh, home of the lovely Deborah Foreman, also got it right. I sent him his stuff this week. Have you talked to her since? Uh, we've emailed back and forth. Have you really? Yeah. What are you saying to each other? She emailed me once at three in the morning, and she's like, I just got in. Bullshit. No, I. Three I, in the morning? Three in the morning. And said, Like you know, just, midnight, though. At midnight, her, her time, time. Three o'clock in the morning, my time. What are you doing up at three in the morning? I got problems. Uh, no, I'm fine. Nice. Actually, actually, I'm living the life of Riley. But the. Um, saying something about how you know a lot of people had heard her interview and a lot of other websites were asking for interviews and she told them no. And I think she's used the line, the magic can only happen once. Really? Yep. And the magic was with you? You say that so... <laughs> I am a little shocked. <sighs> You're not exactly Doug Henning <laughs> in the magic world. Anyway, I'm sorry. I don't want to be negative. I'm really no, I'm we'll, a little let's keep it, let's right keep now. This, let's keep the show positive. All right. Ready? Yeah. Pay attention. Here's this week's clip. You made a woman meow? If you know it, email us at stuckin80s at tampabay.com and then tune in next week to find out if you're a wiener. Ah, the mystical refrain that is named that 80s tune. Hey, signature event here on the podcast. I will play a snippet of a song from the 80s and if you can get it right. Man, we, were talking, we got Funyuns up our ass. Yeah, tons. Literally. I'm eating them all. Brad goes out of his way to send you Funyuns, right. and what do you do? You give them to me. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And I eat them. I've signed so many things, and you're just sitting on They're them. They're not... When people get these things right, they'll get their prizes. It's okay. that simple. And somebody, and somebody will get the special surprise of the... Can I send unexpected un- something? Yeah, the Rod Stewart CD. I'm going to send her something. Yeah, I bet you will, big boy. Pay attention. Here was last week's mystery clip. That was The Smiths with William It Was Really Nothing.
I bet you wish we were you were here for the Smith show that I did with Kathy Wass. You know what? I'm going to be dead serious right now. Uh, there are a couple Smith songs on the 500 Days of Summer soundtrack, and I find them delightful. They're a good band. No kidding. No kidding. It's almost like um, listening to a uh, Smith song is like is like floating pleasantly on like a crashing plane. Like it's, <laughs> it's somehow yeah. more. You know what I'm saying? It's this grace it's, and it's, it's, grace it's, in the uh, presence of mortal danger. Of, yeah. Of, 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 like it's 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 somewhat depressing Happy. and yet also rather blissful. Yeah, it's really I I you know what here here Spearsy here here for 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 championing the uh, the Smiths. This this is a sincerity attempt, isn't it? <laughs> no, this no, you is actually real. look like you're really telling me the truth. I, you know I love that soundtrack. You I've do? written about it in the St. Pete Times, yeah. and I listened to it again today. And uh, my friend Bass Note, one of our listeners, went out and bought it uh, due to my recommendation. And I was listening to it. I'm like, you know what, Smiths, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Two yeah. thumbs up. Good deal. Yeah. Some of the winners included. You want to read them off? Yeah. Jesus Donkey, Stuart Millar of Chelmsford, Essex, England, Kevin Wench, and Steve F. of Lake Ridge, Virginia. <sighs> Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us at stuckinies at tempe.com because Sean Daly is dying to call you Helsinki. Aha! Welcome to Q&A with S&S, America's brand new segment. That's what you're going with? Q&A with S&S. Don't you love that for our new segment? Uh, Come on, this is where a Stuck in the A's Nation can ask us anything they want. They give the question, we give the answer. SNS, Q&A. Da, 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 da. No? You can't come up with anything better what? than that? All right, you, can you do better than that? If you can do better than that, do it right now. Here we go. Please, please tell me now. Please, please tell me now. <laughs> please, please tell me now. By Stuck in the 80s host Steve Spears and special guest Sean. <laughs> All right, you win. You win. Please, please tell me now our newest segment. We now have four seggies. America loves these. Pretty They're much pretty more. soon we won't even have to do a show. We'll just do segments. Let's, the whole show will be segments. I, you know, I would like that. I think we thrive in the segments. Who needs content? Style over substance. That's Today what I at say. lunch with SNS. You know what? I have thrived. I have thrived for 39 years. Style over substance. Yeah, this you is know? true. Um, here, let's just explain the rules a little bit. Uh, Q&A, uh, question and answer. People can ask anything they want from uh, how did Kaja Gugu get their name or uh, does do uh, Steve's drapes match his rug? What rug? There you go. Uh, any sort of thing. It can be about the podcast. It can be an 80s uh, you know, um, uh, trivia, anything, right? Yep. People ask us questions all the time, so now it's please, please, tell me now with Sean and Steve. Or Steve and Sean. Whatever. Do we have questions uh, in the in the We do. We, have, right, uh, we picked out three this week, and I okay. think that's a, that's a good number for each week. You ready? The first one is from Chastity McDonald. Yes. Sean, what kind of music do your kids listen to? Ah, yes. That's uh, Kid Lulu, my five-year-old, and my, my, my 18-month-old. Uh, you know, I think I talked about this a little bit, uh, my... Uh, my oldest loved Michael Jackson. Loved Michael Jackson. This happened about six, seven months ago. Thriller or off the wall? Everything. And I'll tell this story real quick. I, in, my, in my neighborhood in Florida, um, 
they we have a ton of kids. And one of the twelve year olds was just there, you know, brought up Michael Jackson, saying like, "Oh, what kind of music did he do?" And I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" And so I run back home and I get CDs and videos of everything. And I come back to this. We're at this pool party with all these kids. They're like, "Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson," and you could tell some of the parents are looking at me like, "Is this the right idea?" You know, because they think Michael Jackson is maybe you know untoward. And uh, I put it on, and the kids started memorizing the thriller moves, everything. And so Ava, all the time, watching all the videos, her favorite song is Black or White. My Mai's favorite song? We Are Family. Really? And I have like an 11-minute vinyl version of We Are Family. Wow. By Sister Sledge. By Sister Sledge, yeah. Which I probably think is a 78, 79 uh, song. Yeah, Can we grandfather it in? Yeah, sure. We not? also like the instrumental to Tone Loke's uh, Wild Thing, <laughs> which is also plays an Uncle Buck when sure, he goes yeah. to visit the principal. So that's it. So Tone Loke, Sister Sledge, and Michael Jackson are what my kids listen to, which isn't too bad. That's good. You know, a little bit of Elvis School them in the classics. So there you go. Thank you, Chastity. That was a great question. The next one's for Steve. Okay. Can I ask this one? This is from Tim Danner. Steve, where do you see Stuck in the 80s three years from now? Will it still be fresh? Do you have a grand plan, or are you sort of making it up as you go along? That's what Tim Danner wants to know from you, Steve. Oh, man, that's tough. There is no grand plan. We kind of think four or five shows down the road. Well, if I can, I can compliment you a bit, I mean, I think that the status of the show, too, you're just, you know, Canadian broadcasting company, right? They know about you. So I like to think, like, three years down the road, maybe we're... On the radio. Maybe we're on the radio, you know? That would be nice. That would be my dream. You know? That would be my dream. Is it in my plan? I, uh, you know. All right. Our final question is from our new favorite. She's actually really thrust herself to the forefront of Stuck in the 80s fans, and this is from Georgia Girl. The thrust thing just kind of sounds dirty. No, oh yeah, like that. You're offended by that? No, I'm just saying. This is from Georgia Girl, and Georgia Girl asks, "Oh, this is actually a really good question. What were your dream cars in the '80s, and did you get those cars or not?" I can say my dream car in the '80s is very obvious. It was Magnum PI's red Ferrari. That was my dream car. Uh, and not to be too grotesque, but I went through a huge Magnum PI phase, and I like to wear really short tennis shorts, like real ball huggers. I have nice gams, <laughs> hairless, long tan gams. You have women's legs. I have women's legs, but they look dynamite. Maybe not with the rest of my body, you know, but they'd be really like these short, almost like to that comfortable, like pale, hairy zone. <laughs> That's so. <laughs> That's so not what and she I, So I, I dreamed about... Yeah, it is. It's kind of the answer. So I dreamed about driving Magnum's red Ferrari in my little short, snug tennis shorts. I'm what never, was your dream car? I'm never going to be able to sleep again. Let me guess. Uh, kit car. No. From really Knight Rider. This is not a great answer. Um, I always coveted a Jeep Renegade. You know the Jeeps? Yeah, I've heard of Jeeps, Steve. No, but the, the Renegade model back was the, was the big model back then. Now I think they're like Wranglers or something. Yeah. But back then it was called a renegade, and um, I wasn't really shy. Of, I mean, I, everyone knew I wanted one. My whole family knew I wanted one, and um, my family used to have this really weird tradition where every Christmas they would get you like kind of one really nice present. Yeah, and they would hide they would hide that somewhere in the house, but then they would give you a miniature version of it like under the tree. Ah, that's so cute. so one year I had really wanted these really nice roller skates. And because that's a really masculine gift, roller skating is cool. Just get over it. <laughs> 
Some pink roller skates to go no, with your pink bu- panties? They were, they were Viking boots with blue devil wheels, if you must know. I remember that. Really? And they cost $99. Cool. The, um, and where would they hide the actual gifts? Like they'd be, be like an office or something like that, you know, hidden away. So For I could, Christmas? Yeah, Christmas morning they would go so, hide. They would hide like the actual present, but under the tree would be like a little tiny box. And I'd open up the box and there'd be like a little roller skate keychain. Oh. And then a little card that says, Santa says, go find a larger version of me elsewhere. God, your parents were awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's really sweet. So I'd see that. I'd go tearing through the house, and I'd find my beloved, you know, Blue Devil roller skates. Um, they did the same thing with the computer one time where I had like a little computer uh, Christmas ornament, and then I went running through the house and found, you know, they got me a computer. But um, when I turned, I think it was the Christmas after I turned 16 years old, and, and you could drive here in Florida at 16, uh, I opened this little box, and there's a bottle of cologne shaped – like a Jeep Renegade. It has a little Renegade sticker on it and everything. And I'm freaking out. I'm just freaking I'm like, I got a freaking so Renegade. You want to beeline to the driveway, I'm right? beeline to the driveway. And I'm literally like on my feet tearing, tearing off to the driveway when my dad kind of grabs me by the back of my PJs and says, no, there's no Jeep in the driveway. <laughs> oh, brutal. They're like, you know, we just they, they're just playing a joke on me. Oh, that's a that's a cruel joke. I, I wait. What was that? Like 1989? Like that's why you hate the. <gasps> that's no, that would have been like 84. Oh, okay. So, okay, but right uh, no, God, oh, I still remember that. Um, as always, here's how you send uh, the Q and A. So you can just leave them on our Facebook pages, leave them on our blogs, send it to stuckinthesatempe.com. Any question is uh, fine by us, right, Sean? Any question, I I will answer anything. Really dirty. <laughs> <laughs> No, well, that's right. If you got a question about the 80s, you know, or about us or about the show, yeah. please, please tell me now, baby. There's not a dry eye in the house after that Jeep story. <laughs> yes. I, I got choked up. I thought you were going to lose your shit. <laughs> hey, Persal's banging on the door. He wants to get out of the show. I'm done with you, too. Okay. Catch you next week, buddy. See ya. Greetings, stuck in the 80s nation. I'm just a computer, but I enjoy 80s culture as much as any human. When feeling nostalgic, I load my floppy disk drive with the antics of Steve Spears and Sean Daly. They are a left riot. Ha ha. Ha ha. Ha ha ha. We are fortunate to have them to remind us why we love the decade so much. Thanks for the good times. As always, stuck in the 80s. The Commodore. All right, that drama's over with, and we're back with Steve Persall to continue our top 10 list of musicians turned actors of the 80s. God, the, the smell of acts. <laughs> <laughs> Is just when did he start permeating this room? It's one of those Cooperstown, New York things. He went up there for that uh, Hall of Fame visit and stuff like that, and and he came back a fop. Yeah, he doesn't look. He doesn't look himself. No, no, no. the hair's different. It's weird. Is that was that guy liner he was wearing? (laughs) It's it's a northerner thing, I think. Something I don't know. I don't know. It's a Red Sox fan thing. Oh God. So when we left off, we had Tom Waits at number four, and I was winning praise from uh, my hero, Persall. I have a feeling, though, that uh, it's going to be short-lived. Ready for the next one on the list? Sure. Number three. You remind me of the babe. What babe? Babe with the power. What power? Power of voodoo. Who do? You do. The what? Remind me of the babe. 
a goblin bay. <laughs> well, <laughs> David Effin Bowie. Not a bad choice. I would prefer to see weights bumped up. Maybe maybe flip those two around a little Ooh. bit. But um, but Bowie, like Waits, has always been one of those to go for those unusual, those unique, those those different kinds of, of film roles. He wasn't going to just play a rock and roller, yeah, you know, on on a stage and and and, and take the easy way out with the stuff. My favorite movie of his, it's in the 70s, but it's the one that kicked it off, Man Who Fell to Earth. Yeah. I just watched that again a couple of weeks ago. It was on, I remember. He just had this, it, it was, you could sense that he was an alien. You know? yeah. he, he didn't fit into anything that was that was going on. And that's partly with Nicholas Rogue is directing, too, the way he framed him in some of those scenes. He, he would set him apart from everybody else or just just the framing like in a doorway or a window uh make it so make it look like something that was just really weird and otherworldly even though it was something very commonplace but it was otherworldly because he was exactly. somewhere in it yeah i mean uh, I, great presence once again i don't i'm not really crazy about his uh his output that, that you have listed here though yeah, he's got some good movies now. Now, Man of Earth was 76. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those movies you can never kind of place what year it is. I mean, a lot of times you almost think it's an 80s movie. Um, a lot of people, when you first think of Bowie in the 80s, the, the one movie that always comes to mind first is Labyrinth, mm-hmm. I think, for most hardcore 80s fans. And that is what you, that is like your entry. And that's, that's towards the end of the decade for him. Before that. It's really the first one he made that had. What, mass what, what you would call exactly mass, you know, mainstream sure. box office appeal, too. He's in uh, The Hunger in 1983, mm-hmm. which is a you know, pretty popular. Pretty decent little yeah. vampire movie. Susan Nothing Sarandon. Yeah, exactly. Um, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Which, interesting. A very interesting movie. Like The Bridge Over the River Oz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it was... Because it was a it was a World War Two you know prisoner of war type of thing and and uh, you know it had a little bit of a kinkiness to it perhaps uh, yeah I like it a lot I don't own it yeah. but I but I watch it every time it comes on yeah, it, interesting yeah interesting. It's, it's interesting um, it doesn't get much it 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 gets a little bad for a while after that yellow beard he's in uh, I liked uh, Into the Night remember I pointed that one out to you when you when you had this yeah, list here Into the Night is a good one interesting little uh, uh, sort of crime caper you know one of those one of those uh, uh, after hours or something wild types of movies where the, the ordinary guy gets pulled into a dark seedy type of world by a femme fatale type of thing in this case it was Jeff Goldblum and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer yeah uh, and, and Bowie was uh, was one of the guys who was part of that underworld making things scary for him too I know a lot of people like him in Absolute Beginners mm-hmm um, I've tried to get through that movie a couple times, and I just keep a lot getting, of style. I keep getting hung up on it. For a lot some of style. Julian Temple, uh, director of that one, and, and he, of course, the guy behind. You see the guy behind the Sex Pistols and all that kind of stuff. So he he knew how to how to throw a a show, how, how to throw a spectacular together, make something a phenomenon, and and he sort of did that on the, on on film with that regard in that regard too. A lot of lot of jazzy sights and sounds, very cool type of stuff. Probably the best full-length, you know, music video that you that you could yeah, uh, hope exactly, to find, which is basically exactly. what it is. Now we we talked about Labyrinth real quickly, but I mean, what was your take of that movie? I mean, is, does that movie have some lasting appeal? I wasn't that big a fan of it. Um, yeah, I always get Labyrinth confused with uh, Legend. <laughs> you know, uh, anything anything else that has little furry uh, sort of Jim Henson ish types muppety. of types of things in muppety. there. 
Um, I, I, I wasn't a person who would go seeking out that type of entertainment. I've seen a little bit of it on TV, basically just to sort of check out Bowie and see what he looks like. Um, Definitely his I, most I distinctive look. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, I put that that photo on the blog any given day, and people you know, gravitate towards it. I mean, he definitely had a look. I mean, he got he had some numbers in it, so he met the formula of being allowed to sing in a mm-hmm. movie that he also stars in. So that makes it popular. He finishes the '80s in 1988 playing Pontius Pilate in The Last Temptation of Christ. Martin Scorsese's uh, uh, semi-ill-fated version of the uh, crucifixion of Jesus and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't think he fit that role, though. It seemed, I mean, it he, 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 he had he had that kind of that arist, aristocratic, you know, haughtiness to him, which which may be necessary, but at the same time, uh, he's so scrawny. <laughs> I just I just can't see him as a guy who who, who people would mass around and 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 follow you know orders from and and kill off the possible Messiah and all this kind of stuff. Too. Yeah, he just never impressed me as being tough enough. Yeah, I like that, that he still continues to to show up occasionally in films, but mostly kind of almost as a doing a cameo of himself. I thought he was hilarious in Zoolander. He's, he's got a small role in that movie, a band slam that opens up next week. It's Vanessa Hudgens from a uh-huh. uh, high school musical. It's her big screen, you know, starring debut besides the high school musical movie, of course. And, um, he has some kind of role in it and I'm going to stay as far away from that movie as I can. Probably a wise move. Now, a lot of people, here we go. The top two lists. I Number mean, three. I think, I think you could probably take either one of these people and flip them. Maybe. We'll see. Number two. Message for the birthday boy from his darling bunny girl, Barbara. For my what? I don't write it, pal. I just deliver it. Happy, happy birthday, bunny boy. Love's kind of funny with a bunny boy. He loves me so hard, he's my bundle of joy. I try to go to sleep, but it's just no use. Because all he really wants to do is reproduce. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, darling Johnny. Happy birthday to you. Love, from your darling bunny girl, Barbara. Mwah. Hey, wait a minute. Nope, I only do encores for cash. Bette Midler. You got two. to have friends. <laughs> you, you know, Spears, you are the wind beneath my wings. Oh, I'm the wind beneath nobody's wings. I'm like the I'm like the anvil that you carry as you try hand gliding off a cliff. <laughs> Trust me, nobody wants me helping them out these days. The um, Bette Midler, I originally had really high on this list, like like around eight or nine, and then I started. And then you talked me into it. You said, "Look, go back and look at some of these movies, and uh, look at Down and Out in Beverly Hills, nineteen eighty six. Consider Ruthless People, same year." That's a, that's a big number one two uh, that's, hit. Yeah, that, that was one of the top grocers of that year too. Which one? Uh, uh, Ruthless People. I always thought Down and Out in Beverly Hills was probably one of those movies that I thought it was brilliant when I first saw. it. I thought it was funny as shit, and, and I can't believe that to this day, like when nobody when you talk about the eighties, nobody talks about that movie. Um, Paul Mazursky, the director, and I believe he wrote it also. I think he did. Um, Mazursky's movies have always been that kind of you know out of the mainstream type of stuff. Uh, Bloom and Love. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of what else he made. Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice was probably his, his biggest hit back in the 69. But, but that was at a time when being odd, you know, and, and off the wall, uh, and, and tackling subjects that movies don't necessarily, uh, approach typically, like Down and Out in Beverly Hills takes on homelessness. That was okay. 
But um, as people sort of caught up to him, they sort of realized, you know, this guy's not going to make any movies that has anything in it that I really want to spend a Saturday night and my popcorn money going to see. So he's, he's had some problems in terms of gaining an audience. But he's always made very interesting films, um, I think, in that yeah. regard. And certainly Down Mountain Beverly Hills is one of them. Um, but I think everyone leans towards uh, 1988 and Beaches. Beaches, yeah. I mean, that's – I tell you what, that's another one of Di's favorite movies. And I've fought, I've resisted, but she made me watch like the last half hour of it. And let me tell you, when Barbara Hershey <laughs> – I'm sorry. When Barbara Hershey is, is tying and, and – Bette Midler goes out there and sings Wind Beneath My Wings, and you see the two little younger versions of them. <laughs> do, you, do you really I cry? I, 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 I can't. Go on. <laughs> I, I've always wondered this, and, and this is a good chance. It, it's, everyone who listens to the podcast knows I cry at movies. I, I did. I, you did cry? Do yeah. you, how often do you cry at movies? When was the last um, movie you cried at? Do you remember? Oh, gosh. I, I cry. I don't cry when things happen in movies that are, are supposed to make you cry, like when the dog dies or something like that. I cry when uh, when I just see something that's just done so perfect. I tell you, the first time I saw Five Hundred Days of Summer, uh, I, I moistened up a little bit during the uh, the Hall and Oates dance number, really, because it was just out of the blue. It was something completely unexpected, but it just fit so perfectly, and it was done so perfectly to me too. Yeah, but. Um, it could be anything from uh, a, a scene in Lion King. I remember I, I cried like a baby with that. Um, I had to leave during um, two movies. Uh, one was in America. came out about five, six years ago. Um, Irish family that moved over to New York and trying yeah, to make it over here. And uh, A Little Princess, Alfonso Cuarón's version of Little Princess that came out about 10, 12 years ago. Both those movies got me so much, I actually had to leave the auditorium. Wow. And I went to the restroom and, and composed myself and then came wow. back in and finished it up. I would never... But just, but just because something, I can't remember what it was in either one of those, but something was just so perfect. Yeah. It just worked so well. It just got me. I, there's parts of... My Dog Skip. Oh, yeah. You oh, told me that. My Dog Skip. I can't... I, I won't even watch bawling. it. I, I won't even watch it because you told me you cried. If you're yeah. going to cry, I, there's no way I'm going to watch it. You know, that woman was a trap for you. She caught you and you couldn't get away, so you you chewed off your own foot. That was the price you had to pay for your freedom. You know, Johnny had nothing to do with it. You did what you had to do between you and you. And now, now you're afraid because you know the big part of you is a wolf that has the courage to bite off its own hand to save itself from the trap of the wrong love. That's why there's been no woman since that wrong woman, Okay. You're scared to death of what the wolf will do if you try and make that mistake again. What are you doing? I'm telling you your life. Stop it. No. Cher. So great, she only needs one syllable. You know, you can't argue with an Academy Award. Yeah. And, and, and certainly it was, it was deserved, too. That was a terrific, a wonderful performance in Moonstruck, uh, directed by one of my favorite directors of all time, Norman Jewison. I love that movie, and I normally have nothing but nice things to say about Nicolas Cage. But for some reason, I cannot stand Nicolas Cage in Moonstruck. It's the hand, isn't it? It might be the hand. You know, he's got a, a woody. He's got a wooden hand. Yes, he does. <laughs> and a wooden hand. But uh, but <laughs> yes, he does. But uh, but yeah, I, you know, I can see what you're saying there. I mean, I, that Nicholas, takes nothing Nick, away from Cher. Nicholas Cage, Cage just didn't have his composure down. He was just around the, the corner from Vampire's Kiss at that time. Where he was going to eat a cockroach too. Okay, so he, he yeah. wasn't in the, in the right frame of mind. No, there. he wasn't. But Cher. Absolutely. Unbelievable movie. Um, 
she uh, got Loretta started. Castorini. Yeah. Uh, she gets started with um, Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. By Robert Altman, another yeah. one of my favorite directors. I know it is. Uh, Silkwood in 1983. That was the one that really uh, uh, put her on the map there. Uh, Meryl Streep, of course, playing Karen Silkwood, the uh, the uh, who worked in a, a nuclear power plant and was exposing some safety procedures that weren't weren't uh, being followed there and so forth like that. And 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 Cher played this you know down and out person who was working there at the uh, at the plant and and Meryl Streep's best friend who's just watching her. Basically being radiated to death in some of this thing, too. <laughs> nice. uh, but you know what? When we talk about acting with this stuff, though, Cher had been in it for a while. Um, she tried that Elvis factor you know, angle to start with, doing that movie with, with, with Sonny back in the 1960s, Good Times, I yeah. think it was called. Yeah. Uh, but around the same time, she showed that she had some dramatic chops where she did a movie called Chastity, where she played a um, uh, an unwed Mother, you know, teen or, or early 20s mother who's, you know, on the road, bumming around, hippie type girl and all that kind of stuff and trying to figure out, you know, does she want the baby and, and, and what's she going to do with it and what does it mean for her growing up? So she was tackling these kinds of things early in her life before she even became the share that we know. Yeah. Uh, she had her he, she had her eye on the prize. Exactly. And then she picked up the prize for Moonstruck. Yeah. Now, I, th- I still think some of her better work, too, is also in Mask, 1985. Mm-hmm. Eric Stoltz. I, I can never tell the difference between her and Eric Stoltz oh, in that that's movie. Mean. I, that's still a hard movie to watch because Stoltz's makeup. And it's got one of the best endings. Yeah. The saddest endings. Well, you sure as hell aren't going to get a scholarship if you stay in the sack all day, are you? You had a Spanish test, didn't you, Rock? You might have a little Spanish test, huh? Cold. Well, you got your covers off of you. Don't pull this shit with me, Rocky. Do you hear me? Wake up. Come on, baby, make yourself well. Rocky, wake up. Oh, God! I, I like that movie because it, it it had that kind of, you know, uh, heart-wrenching stuff, as you said there, but the the motorcycle gang, Angle with it with Sam Elliott and those guys. Yeah, that, that, that's that's what movies like that need. If they if they're going to try to get you in the heart, they got to come up with something tough too, that that shows that kind of contrast. Yeah. that's the kind of stuff that that will make me make me cry. Yeah, or at least tear up a little bit. Well, that's what we've got for this week. The top ten musicians turned actors of the eighties. Feel free to email us and tell us what we got wrong. If anybody, I swear to God, if anybody emails and tries to pull some. Uh, some crazy fringe character out of some 80s movie and try to throw that as a, a potential top 10. We're going to read that email on next week's show. Didn't, didn't, the, guys, didn't the guys from um, AHA do a movie? Oh, great. That's what you want Did, to do. Didn't they do a movie? Nice. Get the AHAFIA on me. <laughs> they already hate me. In the meantime, myself, Cher, Madonna, Morris Day, Prince, my good friend Steve Persall, we remain here, firmly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is produced by the St. Petersburg Times and TampaBay.com. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for providing music for the credits. Read the blog at blogs.tampabay.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast at iTunes.
I was pretty good, wasn't I? I, yeah, I, I, thought so. I forgot I hadn't mentioned her earlier, and I kind of wanted to do it, but I didn't want to do it in a creepy, awkward way. But I don't know, I don't know if I avoided <laughs> creepy, that. Creepy, awkward way. Is there any other way to bring up my wife? No, I don't know. 